to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to crisis management, business continuity, uh, technology recovery, emergency management, and of course, uh, the last few months, uh, COVID-19, and anything that's relatable to those subjects. Uh, Speaking of which, if there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be a guest on the show, please go to the homepage for uh, Preparing for the Unexpected on the Voice America site, and there is a button. You can click on that, send me an email. I do respond to all emails, and uh, we'll see about uh, getting someone to talk about your topic or getting you on the show. Same thing with any advertising. If you want us to talk about a product or, or service that you offer, please let me know and I'll send you some information on that. Uh, also, um, I know for the last few weeks, if not a couple of months, I've been talking about a couple of conferences and obviously with current conditions, they are now basically all virtual. So, But I am still participating in the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, October 7th and 8th. I will still be involved with that. I am also still involved with the BCI World Conference in Birmingham, UK for November 5th and 6th. And unfortunately, I have to announce I won't be traveling to Phoenix uh, due to current conditions and what's happening. So we won't be doing any live broadcasts from Phoenix, and I believe they are now all virtual as well. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product, Boast Assessment, uh, for uh, sponsoring today's show. Now, uh, let's get straight into this one. by all uh, purposes, this show is actually kind of overdue because I was supposed to talk to today's guest back in April, uh, which was the outset of the pandemic. So we couldn't meet because nobody could travel. It's their fourth appearance on the show. And I'd like to welcome to the show the founders of the Adaptive Business Continuity Movement, David Lindstedt and Mark Armour. Welcome, guys. Hey, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you back. And as I mentioned, it's the fourth time you're on the show. For you become an old man. What do you say with that? That's, yay! David, <laughs> David's fourth time, but it's only my third time. I flaked out the yeah, last that's one. True. Oh, that's right. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on the newsletter. I know, I believe it came out today because I just saw it in my email box this morning. So, your third it newsletter is, is now out. Yep. Got, got some good information in there. Congratulations. Thank you. And second of all, um, congratulations on your first online uh, training course last month. Thank you. That was thank you uh, for that, that as well. Good. Just like everybody else, we had to take our in-person stuff and translate it to be available online and on-demand and remote and such. So yeah, that was uh, that was a, a fun challenge. Yeah, no, I'm we, sure we it adapted. offered quite a few. Go ahead, Mark. Uh, we we adapted. So. I hope so. (laughs) And just to let you know, I, uh, for anyone listening, I was a part of that uh, online course and my certification certificate came through today. 
It arrived in the mail. Wow. Congratulations <laughs> to you then, Alex. Yes, you yes, stuck, indeed. You stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, it took a while to get here. <laughs> and also, I, I uh, off, off, well, not really off topic, but I do want to just say thanks to everybody that attended that course. Um, you know, we got to talk about a lot of great, if different things. Uh, there were people from different backgrounds and literally from around the globe, if I recall, yeah. Spain, Peru, yep. um, South Africa, U.S. and Canada, and a few others. Uh, um, Guernsey Islands, I think, was in there as well. Yeah, it yep. was so, an incredible yeah. group. Really interesting, really motivated people. It was fantastic. A great group. Yep. So yep. I promised. I promised myself I would uh, give a shout out and thanks uh, to Kyle, Angela, Rolf, Anna, Roberta, Russell, Laura, Ralph, Mitchell, Kabir, Israel, John, and Jose. Thanks everybody, and thanks David and Mark for a great course. It was really good to go through that. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Glad you glad you liked it. We we I yep. know we got as much out of it as uh, as everybody else did. So absolutely, Good. yeah. Good. Now I've got a challenging question for both of you. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, and I I think you've actually one of you's uh, written about this if I recall correctly, but um, with the current situation with COVID nineteen, why has there not been any talk about BIAs? If they're so important, why am I not hearing them? <laughs> oh. Challenging. How how are you going to answer this one, David? Uh, that it actually is. I mean, it really opens up quite. Uh, in trying to dig into that question, it opens up quite a discussion. And I don't know where you want to go, Alex. And maybe it's best to let Mark answer first. To, to me, what this what this speaks to is is this much larger question about. What is the narrative about business continuity going to be in the coming months in light of COVID-19? Um, what is it that we're going to say about the role of business continuity? And did it do what it was supposed to do? What does it mean? How is it all factored in with COVID-19? I, I got an email, oh, this is a, little, a couple, actually back in June, um, from one of the uh, vendors, and it said, um, the, the subject is COVID-19 has underlined the importance of your BCP. And I, I actually misread it the first time, just to, and I thought it said COVID-19 has undermined the importance of your BCP. Um, <laughs> and I thought that was telling on a number of levels, including psychological ones. Um, but I don't know. So I don't know, Alex. Where do you where, where do you want to go, Mark? Do you want to take a stab? Do you want to? How do we dive into this very this very detailed question? Um, I, 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 yeah, I want to defer to to Alex. I, I think it speaks for itself, right? We've had this global event, and the one thing that we're not talking about is the one thing that everybody's argued in favor of for the past five years since we first introduced adaptive. So I think that, that's exactly uh, that, why that I lack of discussion speaks for itself. That's exactly why I was asking the question is because as I was preparing today, I kind of thought, you know what, I want to ask them considering what's going on. And every time people think of adaptive BC, you know, I see it in emails and I see it, you know, posted, oh, those are the guys who say don't do BIAs, you know, they're important, they're important. And then every time I, I read articles and 
blogs and different things, nobody talks about the BIA. They're all talking about these yeah. emergency plans and all this other stuff. And and I've yeah. never seen BIA. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask these guys this question, even though we didn't talk about it ahead of time, uh, and, and yeah, get uh, your perspective on it. You're right. I mean, it's it's at least telling that I haven't seen a single article or response or anecdote that was like, thank goodness we had a BIA. Boy, we really used it. Yeah. It just wasn't there. Um, nope. and, and so the, the question, the really interesting question is, how do you measure the value that business continuity has brought uh, to, to COVID? And there's a couple of ways that, uh, that we can think about this, but, but let's, let's play, let's sort of play... Let's play devil's advocate for a moment. So let's suppose I'm a senior leader, I'm a member of the C-suite, and it's now several months down the road. So, you know, let's, let's think about the business continuity and COVID in about uh, six or nine months looking back. And I can, I can easily see a case where the, the senior leader says, look, um, we didn't pull out any plans. Uh, we didn't use a BIA. We sort of figured it out because we didn't have anything to go from. And so I really actually don't see the point of business continuity. Um, we didn't hunker down in a bunker. We didn't follow any things. In fact, you know, basically all we did was to uh, figure out ways to work at home. So what was the value of all that planning, all that documentation, all the, the binders that we had? What was the value of any of it? Because at the end of the day, uh, we had to figure out how to work at home for many, many months. And that wasn't in a plan anywhere, probably. Maybe it was, but come back to that. Um, but that wasn't in a binder. We didn't follow a detailed set of instructions, and yet we figured it out. So, and what was then the value that a business continuity program brought to a COVID-19 response? Mm-hmm. Mark? Um, I have to, I have to think, I have to digest what, uh, what, what David just said. Um, Well, let, let me throw one more thing right. out there. Right. There was a very interesting, sure, sure, I don't sure. remember who, who put it out there. There's a very interesting paper that came out, I want to say it was maybe two months ago. And the, what the, the, this analyst group did, which I thought was very interesting, was compared stock prices to organizations that did and did not have a professional, and I believe it was BCI, I'm not calling names, I just think it was BCI in this thing, but let's just say a, a, a professional business continuity program at their organization, and there was no difference in stock prices, right, or recovery or those types of things. Um, now, it's just one measure, just stock prices, and just whether or not uh, they had a BC program in place at the organization, but that renders no interesting uh, outcomes to tell. I mean, if you just take that at face value, which I don't, then it means that business continuity programs didn't help with COVID. So there must be, either, so there's a couple of ways to interpret that. Either they're just right, mm -hmm. in which case business continuity programs didn't help at all, or there's 
something else we should be measuring. Or maybe different kinds of business continuity programs would have helped, uh, but, but didn't because they weren't the kind that they were measuring. But this is what's very interesting is how do we start talking about the value? And here we are, once again... Business continuity has to argue for its own value proposition because it's so poorly defined. But what is that value proposition, and and, and did we realize it during COVID? Right. I tried to stall, Mark. I, was, I tried. Yeah. What, what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I, I remember what I was going to say, which is so that the problem, of course, is, as David's already pointed out, um, practitioners, have a hard time defining both what business continuity is and its scope and its value proposition. Of course, those in leadership positions are probably going to struggle to see the same thing. Unfortunately, the result of that is business continuity, as we've seen in the past, will get conflated with other disciplines and other activities Mm -hmm. in order to kind of give it some level of credence, right? It's going to get conflated with crisis management, and it should exist at a strategic level to enable... uh, leadership to determine what their strategy is to deter to, to deal with the current global and economic situation they're dealing with. Other people are going to conflate it with emergency management and how we got uh, personal protective gear and how we protected employees and how we implemented social distancing measures within our places of work. Um, so I, I think the problem is twofold, right? One, we need to better articulate what business continuity is, and as David says, it's actual value proposition. But I think we need to do, we need to stop this overlap with really other distinct activities. They're similar and they're related, but they are distinct with different objectives and different deliverables than business continuity specifically. And and if we're, we're not careful business continuity and what it actually does deliver in terms of value uh, is going to fall by the wayside and we're all just going to find ourselves or our crisis managers or emergency managers. Well, you know, I can in the see next a really set- oh, go ahead, David. straightforward argument, something like business continuity means documented plans. We didn't use documented <laughs> plans during COVID-19. Therefore, we did not use business continuity. So, yeah, so this is all coming back to the same thing. We've got, we've, we've got to find ways to talk about the value proposition um, and what it is that business continuity here's, – here's another question. What should have been the role of business continuity during COVID-19? Um, and how would we have looked at that and how would we have measured it? Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I don't, go, I don't know if we're going into a break soon or <laughs> if we want to launch into the next We are. In two, two minutes, we have a break. We can we can end a little early if you want, and then uh, you, we can get give you more time in the second segment there. Good, I think I think oh. let's do it, Mark. Sounds good to me. Okay, so <laughs> I think so too because I know we're going to get going. <laughs> we're going to end All our right. first segment. We're talking with Mark Armour and David Linstead of Adaptive Business Continuity, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
From fact-checking Hollywood blockbusters on the economic impact of COVID-19 on the hunting industry to August fishing reports and mandatory early season hunting to-do lists, The Revolution with Jim and Trav this week is giving you need-to-know outdoor intel. Joining the voices, Kenneth Lancaster of The Given Right, Terry Shepard from Hollywood Weapons, and Cat Daddy. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we, and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with David Lindstedt and Mark Armour from the Adaptive Business Continuity Movement. Um, David, you, David and Mark, actually, uh, you both had some more comments on where uh, business continuity might be going and what it entails and, you know, some of the perceptions that are out there right now. Do you want to continue on with that? I think this is, I think you've got some interesting sure. points coming. <laughs> so, so let's just, let's put some more fodder in the cannon, as it were, and, and let's, let's muddy up the waters even a little bit more. Um, you know, I, the, the interesting question is to, to, well, a lot of interesting questions. To what degree should an organization have prepared for a full-blown pandemic? And part of my answer is, well, in some respects, 
the the effects were quite clear. The two biggest effects were a loss of building and probably a loss of resources because of interruptions in the supply chain. So as part of any business continuity program, I think you need to prepare for a loss of staff, a loss of resources, and or a loss of buildings, of uh, location. So it, it's it, as a side note, it's a, it's a little bit odd. Uh, I remember when we were preparing for uh, H5N1, we, of course, were preparing f- mostly for a loss of people. And I think most people probably thought that uh, the, this pandemic would start with a loss of people. But interestingly enough, it was a sudden loss of location. So mm-hmm. I think any business continuity program worth its salt should have invested time in preparing people to uh, work remotely and to work at home and probably to be able to absorb some problems with a loss of the supply chain. Um, it's interesting to think in that terms, take the, take the economic impact out of this. Um, and this is a little bit where Mark and I and Adaptive are starting to think through. Not only did we have a, a disaster, but what we really had was a very complex situation. And I'll, I'll say complex in the in the Kinefin model of complexity. And, and Alex, if you want to summarize that in a, a few minutes, cool. Whatever you want to do. Um, but basically, what that says is: look, there are there are different kinds of situations. There's some that are that are clear or simple. Some that are complicated, and some that are complex. And of course, there's also some that are just chaotic and unknowable. Um, and as you go through that spectrum. Um, you can't prepare in a sort of linear, prescriptive fashion for a complex situation because there are so many unknowns. Uh, and as we saw that in the first few months, and I think as we're actually really seeing now, there are so many unknowns about, well, can we do this or can't we do this? And are we allowed to do this? And who's going to stop us from doing that thing? And how, how do we enforce it? And those types of things. But the point being is one of the really important things that organizations and people had to do was to adapt to a complex situation and do it very quickly. Not something that we could have scripted out in detail in advance, though we should have prepared for a loss of locations. But how do I work at home for months? How do I take care of my kids? Will they be school? Will there not be school? What's distance learning look like? Who's going to take care of my dogs? How does this all work? So it's a very complex situation. And I think one of the things that business continuity ought to be doing is preparing people, preparing organizations for an ever-increasing array of complex situations. And what's really interesting about that is that doesn't necessarily come from disasters and adverse circumstances. Um, You might be out of a building uh, for an extended piece of time because of a merger or an acquisition or a renovation or any of these types of things, right? There's all, as the pace of business uh, just gets increasingly fast and changing and complicated, um, part of the business continuity job may be to prepare organizations to just react to the, the complex. And so, and I'll, I'll wrap up. And so the, the goal of business continuity may be the adaptive and available organization. So you have an organization which is able to adapt to complex situations, adverse circumstances, and make sure that their services are always available, whether that's from home or because of a loss of the supply chain or what I think we're going to see in the coming months, unfortunately, is probably an increasing number of loss of staff. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, unfortunately. Very, very possible. Mark? So, so, well, I, I just, uh, just to, you know, further, um, further clarify David's statement about, uh, about complexity, right, is, is the traditional business continuity deliverable, if you will, which is the, the business continuity plan, it's, it's basically a, a, a simple or a complicated solution. Right, so it's a solution to a complicated problem or, or a simple problem. It's not a solution to a complex problem because if you're if you're in a complex environment, then yeah, you're dealing with unknown unknowns, and there's no way you could have a set of procedures that's going to help you deal with unknowns. So uh, we right away within the business kind of discipline, I think we need to get away from our focus and our just our overwhelming focus on plans, the deliverables of plans, the testing of plans, the update of plans, and need to think, as David's already described, in terms of, well, how do we prepare an organization and the people within that organization to be able to deal with complex and maybe even chaotic situations? And it's not by giving them a detailed set of procedures. It's it's by giving them some training, some opportunities to practice, uh, opportunities and environments to work through innovative and creative solutions, to walk through other challenges that we didn't anticipate. Um, So we, we need to start thinking both differently in terms of what we're dealing with and what we should be doing as business continuity practitioners, but then more importantly, well, what are the solutions we should be I hate to say delivering, but what are the solutions we should be enabling? All right, not delivering, empowering. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. But here's, and, and, so Alex, like you said, empowering, yes, too, most definitely. This is probably you know just too much all at once. But here's a very interesting thing. Two of the biggest factors in, let's say, continuity of organizations following Hurricane Katrina and the Christchurch earthquakes were empathy and active listening and the soft skills that go with that and innovation and creativity. So so hold on for a second. So think about this, right? So and we've seen this in COVID and we are going to see this in the next coming months. What's going to be so important in managing and continuing business in COVID is going to be care of people, care of stakeholders, care of customers and long-term care and that is going to require empathy, active learning, uh, sorry, listening um uh, being uh, uh, those, I'll leave it at that. Some of the soft skills that go around that, and the other thing that we have seen and are going to see is innovation, creativity, get design thinking, be able to be uh, well. I hate to say it, but adaptive to the things. You know, how the heck am I going to work from home eight to nine to twelve hours a day, and, and my kids are running around and they're supposed to be learning? How the heck does that happen? So here's and so here's the interesting thing, which is. How much of a business continuity program focuses on training people to be active listeners and empathetic people and to be more creative and innovative? I'm guessing not very much, but that may be two of the really important things to get people trained on. So now we start to see again what, you know, we've moved so far from. Here is the plan. Let's update the plan. Let's review the plan. Let's audit the plan. And we're in a whole other place of different capability. Well, you you mentioned the you know the empathy and the active listening. I can honestly say, after twenty two years of being in the industry, I have never ever come across that as part of a business continuity uh, program. 
I know management may get trained on it, but when it comes to business continuity, it, that's not there. Correct. It really is. Correct. Follow the plan. We, 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 exactly. We, we think everything is delivered via a set of procedures. And uh, really, the, the capability comes through in the competencies of the individuals and the teams who are responding to the event. Um, it's the authority and the the empowerment, the accountability that exists within those individuals and those teams. We focus so little on that, even though that's, those are the far more important factors in determining the effectiveness of a response and a recovery to some kind of disruption. And it doesn't have to be COVID. I mean, it's, it could be something simple, a power outage, um, a break room, floods, and now you've got a couple of workstations that aren't, that aren't operating. The problem, of course, is all of these individual situations, they all existed in isolation. So it was hard for just these few organizations that suffered these things to, to then say, well, wait a second, is business continuity really working? Um, now that we have this global event that's affected every organization out there, I think I think once executives start getting together and talking amongst themselves, they're really going to come back and start questioning the value of the resources and the time and the expense of their business continuity programs. Do you think maybe there's focus on a plan? And I just thought of this as as you were both talking that they st- people still want to focus on a plan because when something happens like COVID nineteen, there's a sense of panic. And knowing that there's a binder somewhere helps, you know, I don't want to get too much into disaster (laughs) psychology here, but, you know, kind of helps knowing that there's a plan there, you know, even though it's not really the right way of thinking. Do you you think that plays a part in it? It, it I suspect it's only... only only so much as, as us as practitioners have set that expectation, right? Um, mm-hmm. I, I've started advocating against our reliance on plans, not just because, well, we, we all know plans rarely get referenced in response to a disaster, but if you bring a bunch of people into a room, right, and you're going to exercise some kind of scenario or practice some kind of scenario, if you set the expectation that, oh, as a result of this, we're going to have a nice documented plan that you can pull off a shelf, when the time comes and all of these lessons that we've learned are going to be available for you as reference when, when the event occurs, right? That gives some level of assurance to people that, oh, we're doing the right thing. Um, what if we change that paradigm, right? Instead, we bring people in the room, we say, you know, we're not going to document anything. You're, you are going to be left to your own devices, and this is an opportunity for you to see how well you do and identify maybe areas that you should focus to be more effective moving forward. How much better prepared do you think they would be, and how much how much more effort and focus do you think they would bring to that activity? Again, if they didn't think, oh, this is just going to be documented for us to reference later, and instead entered that kind of activity thinking, oh, this is, this is going to be on me, and I need to understand what my role is, how I can be effective in my role, and what the expectations are going to be of me when we enter some kind of chaotic situation. So I think David, I yeah. that, to answer your question, Alex, we've kind of created this environment where people are assured by the existence of a plan sitting on a shelf. So we've created our own problem. Correct. Yeah, David, I think David got, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think you've got two interesting things there. One is that I think people 
want to believe, rightly or wrongly, that someone knows what to do. Um, that's probably not me, because I haven't thought a lot about it as a frontline worker, um, but I would expect my leaders and to be able to know what to do uh, in the event that things have gone badly. Um, and, um, yeah, and, and part of that is the, is the, the binder on the shelf. Yeah, and, you know, it's a funny sort of thing. It's, it's the same question, you know, when, when other companies ask of their supply chain members, do you have a plan? Do you have a business continuity plan? If it's yes, then, oh, good, we're fine. And if not, then, oh, well, come up with a plan, then, then otherwise you can't recover. I think the interesting question, so, yes, to your question, Alec, you know, is part of that, um, you know, a, a fear-based piece? Um, I mean, I think, yeah, people want to believe that, that there's, um, that somebody's going to come in and help them figure this out. And, of course, you know, that can't possibly be true. Even the best leader and best document in the world is not going to tell what, Sally in accounting how she should go ahead and manage the books from home and uh, Bob in steam generation how they're going to manage their thing but still wear masks and stay six feet apart. And Fred, it's just not possible. Um, and so... and. Back to the sort of the original question is, so let's, you know, did people pull those binders off the shelves and use them? Um, you know, anecdotally in the information that I've heard people say is just no. I mean, I remember people even that have done lots of work on it and had that binder, and it would have been so helpful if only they would have pulled it and looked at it and thought through it and done it, but they didn't. And they just sort of went with, you know, their gut. So you know, there are all sorts of problems there. Mm-hmm. And David made a very important point that I, I want to emphasize. Oh, thank goodness, because I, I was afraid maybe I hadn't said anything <laughs> no, no, no. yet. I'm glad I got one. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, the one that I captured anyway, um, you, you, said, you said people are going to be looking for someone, you know, to help them, right? And it, it might be a, a document, but they're also looking for people to, like, kind of point the way. And, and here's the problem, again, with the business continuity discipline is think about when we go into exercises, right? We, we kind of go in as and, – and, and here I'm going to reveal what a, what a geek I am. We go in as the dungeon master, right? We, we know and see all because we've developed this nice complex scenario and we're going to provide everybody with inject. We're setting the expectation that we have all the answers and when a event comes along that, oh, well – We'll, we'll be able to provide everybody with the information about the impacts and the consequences and who's available and all that stuff. When we know in an event that's not going to be the case, wouldn't it be better if we went into an exercise and we just rolled the dice, uh, you know, or we just Googled disaster and whatever comes up in our search query, that's the scenario we're going to play with. And now nobody expects me, the business continuity practitioner, to have all the answers and to lead everybody when the time comes. Instead, we're all left to our own devices. Again, it's, it's primarily about setting the right expectations. And I think as a discipline, we've done a terrible job of doing that. We've set the expectation that we know and see all, we have all the answers, and that all those answers are going to be nicely documented for them in a set of procedures on a binder on the shelf. So let's, I think that's, I mean, let's think of, a, of an analogy here, right? So uh, I, you know, take a sports analogy or um, the airlines for pilots, or let's take military, right? Um, we've got a, a group of people 
and we want them to achieve a certain mission. Uh, we can't possibly figure out all the things that could go wrong during the mission. So what we want to do is, first of all, set a certain uh, level of, of guidelines. Look, this is look, so now payroll, right? Okay, look, payroll. Uh, I probably can't help you out. I don't know all of the things that are going to be happening. It's going to be a crazy time. Everybody's all of a sudden going to be working from home. Here's what I want you to know. Right? Your group is responsible for running payroll monthly and bi-weekly and getting it up and running and from home and a few other caveats there and make sure you do it by this point. If this problem comes up, notify this person to escalate and go. Um, and so that's how you train the military. Like, look, this is your objective. These are a set of overall guidelines. You can do these things. You can't do these other things. Uh, what kind of equipment do you need for this? Let's get you the resources you need, right? You need the laptop. You need the thing. You need to be able to work at home. You need to have the VPN connections. Let's get you the equipment. Let's get you the training, get you into the right mindset, and then we're going to send you off, and you're going to have to figure it out because that's what a complex situation is like. So same kind of thing. Let's do that same thing with, with payroll and beam generation and centralized purchasing and whatever else. It said, look, what is it that you guys do? Why would that be important in a post-disaster environment? What are your big objectives uh, in, in a, in a post-disaster or complex environment? Uh, and what sort of equipment do you need? What are the resources uh, that you need? Um, let's get you trained up. And maybe that training includes some active listening and design uh, thinking and all of the things that, that let you interact and be in, in, innovative and creative and responsive and adaptive. And then away you go, because as the CFO, I sure as heck don't have time to call everyone or even every director and tell them that this is what I'm expecting of them, and here's where they go, and here's what they do, and this is how they're going to get it done. And I think on that note, we're going to end our second segment. We're talking today with David Lindstedt and Mark Armour of Adapted Business Continuity. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. From fact-checking Hollywood blockbusters on the economic impact of COVID-19 on the hunting industry to August fishing reports and mandatory early season hunting to-do lists, The Revolution with Jim and Trav this week is giving you need-to-know outdoor intel. Joining the voices Kenneth Lancaster of The Given Right, Terry Shepard from Hollywood Weapons, and Cat Daddy. The Revolution is presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Saturdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What are the labels that identify us? Who are we and how do we figure out our place in the world? Do we own our narrative? If you were to create your biography today, what would it say about you? Listen for Dropping In with host Diane Dewey, the author of the award-winning memoir, Fixing the Fates. Diane and her guests will give their version of finding themselves. Find out about your authenticity by dropping in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with David Lindstedt and Mark Armour of Adaptive Business Continuity. Guys, that uh, the first and second segment were fantastic. Thanks so much. There's so much good information in there. Um, I do want to circle back on something that we started to touch on in the first uh, um, segment there, where what's going to happen with business continuity going forward? And I'm kind of asking that question, um, and David, I think you used the word, fall by uh, the phrase, fall by the wayside. Uh, with COVID-19, I'm hearing you know, a lot about technology, you know, so that would be the ITDRP and all that kind of stuff, you know, and emergency management but not much about business continuity. So what does the future really hold for business continuity? What are people thinking about it and what what may change or what may stay the same or what needs to stay the same? Wow. I think a lot needs to change, obviously. Uh, and again, I sort of really think it comes down to if business continuity is plans and we didn't use plans, then we didn't use business continuity, so what the heck good are you? What, what is it that, that, what value are you adding here in my organization? Um, on the one hand, uh, Mark has talked about this, and I think I will turn it over to, to him to talk about this for a moment. That clearly, this is an opportunity um, because. Uh, so we'll let, we'll let Mark be the, the glass half full, and I'll be the typical glass half empty. Um, there's a clear <laughs> opportunity here because, look, as, he, as Mark said, look, this is the first worldwide everybody was affected uh, disaster in recent memory. Um, you know, you can pull out the World War II, World War One, Spanish flu, those types of things. But in you know, since the internet, this is the first one, and clearly there is a general feeling that disasters like this have to do with business continuity. And, of course, now, once again, the word resilience is coming back up because, oh, maybe if we'd been more resilient, we could have had better bounce-back ability. And, okay, we'll go down that road. But clearly there is an area here um, for being able to take a step back and really give a hard look at the discipline. And if, if we don't do it as business continuity professionals and practitioners, I guarantee the executives are going to do that, uh, and they're going to look back at these several months and go, wait, what What did you do for me again? 
But Mark, let, let's talk mm-hmm. about the opportunity first, and then I'll, I can talk about some of the concerns, or vice versa, whatever, however you want to do it, Mark. Why, sure. So, so BC going forward, so I think it's going to go one in two, one of two directions, and, and I think we may see a split, right? I think I see, and this is occurring before COVID-19, uh, there was a large movement in the discipline to move us towards risk management, and part mm-hmm. of that was wrapped in the resilience envelope, and then yet a lot more people were saying, yeah, we need to focus more on mitigating and preventing risks. And I, I think that would be mistaken. Um, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think there's actually a discipline that already exists that is focused on risk management, and I, I think it's that's the name of the discipline. So to make yeah. business continuity professionals risk managers would would be silly. I mean, now we're just going to be duplicating somebody else's somebody else's role. And if you look at the risk management discipline, I mean, look at look at the stuff by. Douglas Hubbard, um, look at Warren Black, Alexei Sidorenko. These are the guys who are like trying to change the whole risk management discipline. So we're going to move ourselves over to there where there's still a whole group of people who are saying they're doing it wrong. We need to, we need to, to get our own house in order. So then the shift is going to be those who are doing it right. So the organizations where I think business continuity is going to thrive. I think are the organizations where preparedness is well understood, right? They understand that, yes, we can manage and try to mitigate the risks that we're aware of and that we can control, but things are always going to happen and we need to be prepared for that eventuality. Um, at the same time, they understand that capability exists, but they also have a good understanding of what that capability is and where they sit, both as an organization as well as the departments within the organization sit in that spectrum of, or that range, right, of they have absolutely nothing in place or they have absolutely everything, as well as the steps they can take to improve. So I, I think that's where we're going to see the split. I think maybe a few people in the middle who are still kind of like unsure or maybe still trying to grasp it, traditional approaches, even though maybe the organization is already moving on. But uh, I, that's, that's where I think... I, I see us going as going to be a whole group that just gets swallowed up by emergency management, risk management, crisis management, and then the actual, the people who are really, I think, doing this already correctly. And I'm not talking specifically just adaptive, although it's inclusive of adaptive, but those where it's, where it's being done correctly, that's where I think it's, it's, it's going to thrive. And we're going to find kind of the, the, the real home for the adaptive business kind of be practice. David, your comments. I think Business continuity professionals, business continuity support organizations have better start thinking right now about getting on top of and controlling the narrative. What what was the proper role of business continuity during the first few months of COVID-19 and did it achieve that function? Because if it was a matter of saving stock prices. Nope. If it was a matter of avoiding a global economic downturn, oh my gosh, that can't possibly have been what our, our job was. If it was a matter, so what, what, if it was a matter of having a proper step-by-step binder of instructions for exactly how to handle a pandemic, uh, and I've seen 
Some we're starting to see some commentators say this was the problem. This is why business continuity failed, which is already an interesting narrative, uh, is because uh, we kept asking leadership for money to do pandemic planning, and they wouldn't give us any. If we'd had more money, we could have done it, and you would have had what you needed. Mm, not really buying it, but we can have that discussion. So here's here's where I think one of the very one of the interesting ways you could measure the effectiveness of business continuity during the first few months of COVID-19 is how smoothly and efficiently did organizations make the transition from working in locations to working remotely. And this is a matter of, and I think this is the anecdotal evidence that we've seen with effective business continuity programs. The leadership is saying, oh, yeah, you know what? It took us two or three days. We were up and running. People knew what they needed to do. They had those sort of guiding principles. They were able to take charge, take their own control, do the things that needed to be done. And really, it was a very smooth transition for us. Uh, Or it wasn't. Where people were like, hey, I don't know what to do. Somebody tell me what to do. I don't have a laptop. I've never tried this. I don't know what a VPN is. I've never practiced working from home before, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is also, you know, it's funny because we talk uh, a lot about, um, to some extent, you know, touchy-feely things like active listening and and, and those types of things and maybe even muscle memory. Um, But it's measurable. So we could look at um, uh, revenue during those, uh, you know, whatever, that time period where an organization pulled the trigger and said you had to work from home. You could look at revenue during that time. You could look at call volume. You could look at customer satisfaction. You could look at um, project completion dates. You could look at tons of data you could mine to answer that question empirically. Um, But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. The interesting thing is what do leaders think about our response? Um, My instinct is if that was a pretty smooth transition and if the organization was able to address some of the secondary problems that came through, like uh, interruption to supply chain, um, maybe people not being available and dealing with that, if they felt that that went smoothly and if business continuity had a a face um, in that preparing uh, preparedness process for those kinds of things, then I'm guessing the leadership is going to go, yeah, that's what business continuity is. Business continuity is about getting my people ready so that they can adapt and be available for my customers and that they're treating my customers well, they're treating my stakeholders well, they're treating our stockholders well uh, because they are not freaking out, they're not stressed out. They have the fortitude to be able to adapt to the situation because we've equipped them, we've trained them, they feel comfortable in this situation. It's in- and, excuse me. It's interesting you you said that because I was going to ask you know with the current situation and everybody working from home and being able to move forward, you know if business continuity and the success of you know working from home if that would actually be contributed to technology or business continuity. It's a great question, right? and again now we're back to the narrative. Right. We yeah. need to try and control that narrative and to get some data and do our homework and be able to say things because, yeah, you know, that if we look at only whether or not the technology was available to make that happen, that's going to be one story. But if we look at the, I don't know, the freakout factor, the control factor, the efficiency factors here and say, look, you know what? 
we had plenty of F, uh, VPN connections. We had plenty of laptops. We had those types of things. Uh, and yet, it took us seven days to get back up and running, and I was on the phone for, you know, 16-hour days where I was answering questions about who gets what and how to deliver this thing and who should start back, all those types of things, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, again, if it's going to be part of that narrative and, and, and trying to, to, to really work on that narrative. Mark, There's anything to add? Part of, that, part of that narrative cannot be, oh, well, we, we told leadership and they just didn't act on it. I, at what point, and, and this is, I've been in business continuity now for close to 18 years, and executive buying and support was a big topic of conversation when I entered. We still haven't solved the problem. At what point do we take responsibility for that, yeah, right? That's right. Um, for for hmm. clouding the issue because we feel we have to educate leadership about what business continuity is and why it's important. Using scare tactic and using worst case scenarios that let's face it, most executives understandably <coughs> feel what that's probably not going to happen or it's got a it's got a very low probability event. So why am I going to invest time and money into that rather than saying you know what this is something that could provide value for these types of events? They're much more run-of-the-mill, they're much more day-to-day, they're much more likely, but we can at least reduce the cost and the pain and the effort associated with our response to those. And the consequence is going to be when the big catastrophic disaster occurs, well, we've all had plenty of opportunities to practice and prepare and get better at this. Are we, and, and be more transparent, right? So instead of using executive engagement and buy-in as some kind of scapegoat for all of the problems. Um, instead, go to executive management and say, Here, here's what we're capable of. Here, as a result of that, here's the things where we can improve. Now, you tell me, well, what steps do you want to take, right? Because we're probably going to have a laundry list of things that we mm-hmm. could do. Leadership, what, what, where do you think we should focus our efforts for the next month or for the next quarter or for the next year? Do you, do you want to make some monetary investment in technology, expand our VPN capability so people can work remotely? Or is it, is it the people aspect? People don't know how to work remotely. They're not productive when they're, when they're working remotely. Maybe you need to provide some support and some training and some practice opportunities for them. But the opportunities are endless. It's our responsibility as practitioners not to just tell them what they need to do, but to give them the data so they can make informed decisions. I found it so frustrating in the weeks that followed the significant impacts and people were starting to work from home and were having to deal with these things. And and, and I think, you know, I looked to organizations, uh, business continuity support organizations for for advice. What do do we do now? What What is the advice that you're giving us? And Time and time again, the published advice was, oh, did you not do a pandemic plan? plan? Well, now's the time. Now you should go and create your pandemic plan and, you know, first get a committee together. Seriously, and this, these were the things. Get a committee together and get leadership together and go through and, cre- and document your pandemic plan. Are you crazy? No way. The yeah. cat, it's, it's here. The, the, the horse is out of the barn and the cat's out of the bag. So, you know, it is way too late for that. And, you know, we had to look to places like uh, McKinsey and Company for actual advice that says, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to get a team together that's different from the just, team that's Just so you know, David, actual... we've got two minutes left. <laughs> well, there you go. So, <laughs> yep. So fast. 
the answers, the advice, the recommendations has, cannot be, if it didn't go well, go back and do more documentation. Um, yeah. that's, that's not it. David, uh, Mark, do you have a closing comment as well? Something you'd like to... <laughs> My, my closing comment will, will be, I, I think we need to change our perception of business continuity as something that's delivered, right? By mm-hmm. virtue of, we've got a plan, I'm the expert on this, I can give you all that you need so that when the time comes, you have everything that you require, right? Which we all know is, is impossible to begin with and, and rarely ever translates uh, into that expectation when the event comes. And instead, we need to think of business continuity as something that is enabled within the organization or facilitated within the organization. So we need to stop thinking of ourselves as the dungeon master or the deliverer or the, the owner of all this. And said, we're the ones who actually kind of enable that capability within the organizations that we serve and support. They have it. They own it. We're simply the coaches and the mentors and, and the, the guides to help them along that, that path. And on that note, we've come to uh, the end of another show. Guys, I know we could have kept on talking because I had a whole bunch of questions that I know I want to talk to you about. <laughs> Maybe we'll have to it's do it. It's always fun, show. Alex. Always a good time. Part, so, part so thanks, David, and thank you, Mark, again for another insightful uh, show. I really appreciate your time and expertise with us. And in the meantime, everybody, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.